Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to Mass Youth Young Professionals podcast live series. This is the last one for Ramadan. Inshallah, we have our amazing guest, the Amal Shukri from Al Maghrib Institute. We'll get to him in a few minutes. Please take a few moments to uh, renew your intentions. Inshallah, I know this is the last night. Um, so, you know, if, if you are sitting somewhere, share the link, tell people to join us, inshallah. We're going to be discussing our relationship with the Quran. But before we get into that, again, like I mentioned, renew your intention. Um, let us have one discussion with the Ahmad. If some of you don't know him, he's a hilarious dude. Mashallah, I got to know him a few times uh, through our work. And uh, again, this will be the last session for Ramadan, but we will continue our podcast live series in about uh, two weeks, inshallah. We'll take it a week off. Now, um, just to get things started, but Omar, Salaam, how are you, man? Alaikum salam, Kibriya, how are you doing, man? Alhamdulillah, how, like, how's, how's everything going? How's your Ramadan? Everything's good, Alhamdulillah. It's done. Allah it's done. done. Yeah. yeah did, you did you like this one? I loved it. Why? Um, it was Ramadan for me, it was Ramadan without all of the, all of the distractions. Yeah. Just, uh me and the house and myself it yeah was, that was great alhamdulillah and i'm an introvert so i'm not i wasn't you are or i can mix between both i'm okay yes. in the company of people and i'm okay by myself so i'm i was fine yeah yeah i think i see that both in you intro and extrovert you you, you can switch your your custom are you a, a like a, a personality reader or something <laughs> no. Just I just knowing you, like you know, Ashallah, in your public appearance and and, and your private. Yeah, I'm chill, man. I'm laid back. So if, if I'm alone by myself at the house, I'm cool. I'm yeah, I think a lot of uh, people. This actually, uh, what you're mentioning about your Ramadan experience, a lot of people are actually really relaxed with this Ramadan because of the um, the COVID nineteen situation and whatnot. Um, I think a lot of workers are really relaxed, right? Like Islamic workers who are not able to, who don't need to travel and do all these crazy hustle bustle things for the communities, right? Yeah. So us community activists or workers are really kind of like enjoying it laid back. The content receivers are just like, ah, oh, it's not a Ramadan we picture. I mean, for me, it was a very busy Ramadan. I mean, with Al Maghrib, we were just like 180 miles an hour. Oh, wow. A lot of things, a lot of projects, a lot of courses, a lot of everything. Yeah. So it was very busy from that aspect. But still, I mean, just, you know, like right now I'm about to do a podcast. And then I just had a thought maybe 10 minutes ago, <laughs> do a quick podcast and then pray tarawih, depending on whether it's still Ramadan or not. And that's it. Yeah. Mashallah. All right, before we begin, get into the meats and creeps of our uh, event today, talking about the relationship with the Quran, I just want to recognize our sponsors, Mercy Without Limits, inshallah. They will be here with one of their participants today, live, uh, kind of discuss about their project and what they do, but we definitely want to recognize them and appreciate them for what they do and uh, making it possible for us, a, a massive national, for you know, for them to sponsor us for the whole Ramadan and doing the program for us. We just want to recognize them, appreciate them, inshallah. Uh, we'll go ahead with that in a few minutes. but. Tell the audiences who are you, man? Who like tell tell tell, tell us about your background a little bit, you know? Like what made you get so into So I grew up in Queens, New York. You're a New Yorker? Interesting. Yeah, I grew up in Queens, New York. I uh, what makes me I mean, there's not much to me. I grew up in, in Queens. I'm from Sudan. Uh, lived for a good amount of time in Sudan as well. Um, 
and and that was by design. My parents had wanted me to, they wanted to make sure that I, I grew up uh, with some Arabic that I would be able to, to, to connect with my heritage and my roots and my religion and all of that. Mm. It was very fruitful for me. And Alhamdulillah, uh, went to school here, um, got involved with the Maghrib Institute uh, as a volunteer and as a student, and then uh, graduated from there, then was approached to be a teacher by Al-Maghrib, Alhamdulillah. And I live in Houston, Texas, where I am Imam of River Oaks Islamic Center. Mm. And uh, yeah, work as the contact director also for Al-Maghrib. And so these these are my worlds. MashaAllah, that's amazing. Must be feeling awesome that you were able to actually. Um, did you ever thought about you're going to do this as a career, or like as a young professional, you thought you were always going to get into something else? This was my passion for sure. This is what I was doing on the weekends and at night and all of that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of just I just moved in that direction, not even consciously. But that's just the the doors that Allah kept opening for me. Wow. Alhamdulillah. That's awesome. Yeah. So the whole the whole podcast we're focusing on this uh, month of Ramadan is like our relationship with the Quran. Yeah. And, and I think like, you know, many of us have a different track on that process. Like some of us who are non, we're Desis, we're non-Arabic speakers, right? We have to go above and beyond and kind of make that connection or at least learn and understand what, what exactly Quran is offering to us. Tell us about your personal journey or at least your, like, what is your relationship with the Quran? Like, how do you, like, and, and we, be real about your answers. You know, there are right answers you can give, but we want to hear your personal story, your personal connection. Like, what do you got? What's your relationship with the Quran in, in terms of, you know, how often you seek guidance? Like, how often you go back to reflect on it? Or what's your favorite verse? Tell us a little bit about that, inshallah. So growing up as a kid, I was never really, you know, um, like most people maybe, I, I memorized a few surahs as a kid. And you know, had Sunday school, and I would go. And I had a a you know, I I remember like being eight years old and memorizing Surah Al Alaq, and Al Alaq was like a difficult Surah for me. It kind of took a while for me to get through. Yeah. And then uh, as I got through, like, um, and then and then once I had the mechanics, and my parents, uh, once they were comfortable that like, okay, these guys know how to read and they can memorize if they want to, whatever, like we've given them the tools now, but I wasn't like, uh, put in any sort of like memorizing programs or anything like that. And so this, like most people, the sword that I, I memorized in my youth were simply sword or chapters that I had a, a connection to or an attraction to. And so, uh, whether it's a or whether it was Surah Maryam or whether it was, um, you know, it was just sword that I, I I just connected with for whatever reason. And so those um, sword uh, were, they just, um, it, it was very, very like haphazard, very, very haphazard, depending on just vibes and, and what I felt. Um, uh, and then after that, later on, it became like a, system, a systemic thing where it's like, okay, this is a goal that I have, which is, but in any case, um, so my my journey with the Quran is it's very interesting. I've 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 Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala's uh, people are the people of the Quran, and so 
I related and I recognized that uh, my goal, of course, is to have a daily devotional every single day. Yeah. And I, I believe in its importance. And so that's that's my that's my standard that I have for myself is to read something of the Quran every single day, whether it's a lot or a little, but just to keep to that. And that's pretty much that's pretty much my yeah connection with it. As far as reflecting or contemplating of it, that that goes depending on the day, whether you're whether I have the time or I have the ability or I have the connection on that day. But just the the notion of showing up and reading something of the Quran, yeah, that's something that we can all aspire to and something that we can all accomplish. Yeah, no, that's a very important uh, thing you mentioned. Obviously, with your position, you're an imam of the community, right? Um, I think this, 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 do you ever feel this pressure on yourself in terms of like, um, did, did you ever find yourself like not practicing what you preached? Have you ever got yourself in a situation where like you said something, but you haven't been able to practice? And how do you go about that? Like, you know, especially in your position, like, is that something that, you know, well, so I, 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 I would like to say that I don't preach what I don't practice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's not that that's a, a beautiful concept actually that I learned yeah. way back in the day. Uh, my father, Rahimahullah, and I had a running joke because when I'm like a young kid, I started in New York and I think it's probably still until this day and maybe you guys in, in the Virginia, you guys can relate to this, is that when you have like a, such a large Muslim community that whenever you have anybody with any sort of talent or any sort of they'll put them on the mimbar and they'll put them on the khutbah rotation and they'll do all of that right yeah and yeah if you have any kid who can kind of just read a little bit and is willing to prepare a khutbah really something and they'll just do the, is that is that your experience not, as well? i mean not from a, like a big community because like you know they're very careful not a big like they're not going to put them at front of, on the member of darul hijrah but like they will like um you know, you'll be involved in MSAs and you'll be oh, invited yes. to all of these types yes. of things. You'll yes. get put on a local speaker circuit, right? Yes. And other communities, smaller communities will be inviting you for khutbah and all sorts of things. And so in any case, one of the masajid that uh, was local to us, we would, uh, I, I went and I gave a khutbah there and my father, rahimahullah, he came and he attended and he was quiet and all of that. And, uh, and then afterwards, you know, he was, he was kind of surprised that I, I started going in this direction, but he told me, he said, I'm not, he said, do you, do you, do you go and tell people? Cause his criticism of me always is that I was a messy person. Yeah. So he's like, do you go and you tell people that cleanliness is like half of your faith? Is that what you tell people? <laughs> and I told him, don't worry, Baba, I don't say that. <laughs> no way. I don't, I don't tell people these things. Like, uh, oh, you believe, why do you say that which you do not do? So, it's tough, though. It's tough in your position or in, like, even Dr. Ahmed's position, like, you know, you have to teach these things, right? Versus, like, it kind of, like, haunts you down if you are not really um, at the capacity where you're, like, I'm sure there's a way to say it, right? Like, hey, I'm with you on this, right? But it's very tough because like people want like people like in leadership position, people just find you and the moment you make that mistake, you're like the young person like, oh, you're preaching me about it. Yeah, I mean but at the same time you also carry a balance, right? You're human and my job is not to preach 
uh, or to remind people of, of, of my standard, but my, my, we are all required to remind each other and hold each other to the standard of, of the Dean. And so whether that's I who falls short, then your job is to advise me. And if it's somebody else who falls short, then your yes. job is to, my, my job is to advise them. And hopefully a person's sincerity will protect them and a person's integrity will protect them from these things. The example that I love to, you know, is uh, the old Tablighi Jamaat example, which is da'wah is like washing your hands. Sorry, da'wah is like washing the dishes. Your job, your, 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 your objective is to clean the dishes, but in the process, your own hands become clean. Ooh. Right? So if a person is actually sincere, if a person is actually sincere, you're not, you're not being, uh, you're not be, it's not a facade. It's not a game. Yeah. Even if you're stumbling, even in your, if you're falling, at some point, inshallah, at some point, inshallah, your hands will become clean. Wow, that, that was powerful. Um, so how many nights did you make it in Tabliq? What was your highest night you made it? I, I never did the Jamaat. Oh. <laughs> you're in trouble, man. You're alive. You're about I to get invited. I never did uh, Jamaat ever. But, uh, uh, you know, in my life, actually, one of the turning points in my life was when the Tablighi Jamaat uh, came to my local masjid because I was probably like maybe 14 or 15 years old and it was a Sudanese brother who came on the Tablighi Jamaat. Okay. And it was my first time ever. You know, you know, you have uh, you have people in your life who, uh, I mean, they're, they're literally transformative. Yeah. And this individual, even though he was literally there for three days at the masjid, he was just so cool and so welcoming. And I'm like a teenage kid. And he's this, uh, he was like maybe in his 30s, you know, still young enough to be really cool. And he was. And I remember just literally going to every salah back and forth uh, for those days just to kind of, you know, kick it with him a little bit and stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that's the closest I've been to being on Jamaat is, is going for three days to the salawat in my masjid because the Jamaat was in town. Um. Yeah. And, and I think like what you're mentioning is very powerful because like if you really uh, look at look at from the holistic point of view, from what we're trying to like gravitate from the Quran is experience, right? I mean, when you look at the stories, when you look at the uh, scenarios or the constant reminders, these are all like like you know instances that are taking place in people's lives. And sometimes you're ref you're able to reflect back on certain verse at a certain point of your life. You see this verse like really hits you, right? Um, like, have you ever, have you ever, like, in your, in your position, have you ever had an opportunity where, like, okay, you, that verse really hit you at that uh, catastrophic time in your life or that moment or, like, okay, this verse really, like, you know, held me really strong. This was, like, the anchor for me. What was yeah, that? There's a lot, of, a lot of examples of that. A lot of examples of that. So, um, you know, a, an example that I, I loved very much was in, in Ramadan, Years ago, I'm praying behind an imam who's an amazing reciter. And it's the fifth night of Ramadan. And uh, it's Surat al-Nisa. It's the fifth night and it's Surat al-Nisa. And Surat al-Nisa has some of like the most vivid descriptions of the hellfire that you'll come across. Mm. Every time their skin is roasted, we replace them with new skin that they may retaste the punishment or that they may taste the punishment. In uh, The hypocrites are in the lowest portion of the fire. And I remember being in Salah and I'm listening to these 
descriptions and I'm thinking to myself like this is this is severe like, this is this is severe right and I remember having that thought and then like the last verse of the last uh, page of that juice it's the bottom of the page last verse of that juice it was it hit me like a truck because it sounded it was like a response to my thoughts in the salah and so when you have that experience in the salah where it's like my thoughts are being responded to right those are incredibly intense and so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says last verse is what does Allah benefit from punishing you mm. if you are grateful and if you have faith? Like what 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 does Allah get out of your skin yeah. being roasted or you being in the lowest portion of the hellfire or you being in the hellfire in the first place? If you simply had faith and showed gratitude. Like you humanity, why are you so ungrateful? Why do you disbelieve? And Allah Himself is Shakir. You can't be Shakir. Like you can't be, you can't be appreciative. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replaces with goodness. And Allah is knowledgeable. Like the most the little that you do, Allah knows it. The most small generosity that you show, the small kindness, the small repentance, the small Whatever it is that you do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is knowledgeable of it and he will replace and he will reward you for it and he is appreciative for it. And so when I heard that verse in the salah, it was like it was intense. It was just mm -hmm. uh very powerful for me. Yeah. So no doubt about it. And I think what you're mentioning in regards to um just that experience of knowing what's being uh just recited or what's being said as you as your thoughts are going through as if there's like actual connection happening right as a response taking place a relationship a conversation is happening now i want to bring these are just these are amazing powerful uh, reminders and, uh, and experience as well now let's i, I want to be a little bit realistic in our situations in the current crisis um you know of course as you know in the community or even in our and it's not to be like negative it's just that a lot, a lot of young people are leaving faith or they're being dis they're continuously being disconnected or going further right either it's one extreme or they're being so connected where they're disconnected from society or either the young people are so connected to society they're disconnected from the dean right um for young professionals who are working nine to five um you know they are they don't have much you know that 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 nine to five is not easy that's a killer i mean you're talking about, you know uh uh, being in the corporate world is a different taste a lot of you know i've been to the corporate world and i couldn't last for too long i was like i'm not doing this and it's just a constant grind then you come back home and you got to do things you know like uh, it, it's tough um, what are some of the things that you would advise young professionals nowadays to really approach the quran and, and do we and do you always feel there, there's this notion also in the community is like things are being watered down and I feel like it's not like I, I in my at least being on the ground I realize certain people need watered down messages right if we come overwhelming to them or if we just like slam it as it is sometimes it's just they're not ready for it so two questions I guess one is how what are some of the advice you give for young professionals to approach the Quran uh for those who are busy and those who don't understand the language well or you know what are some of the basic uh steps you can give so um, there's a couple of aspects that I'll share, and, and, and you know more than me because of your involvement with the community and, and young people more than I am. But 
I, I will say that uh, with her. Amar, is your video off? No. Yeah, it's off. Uh, maybe toggle it. Uh, give me a second. Can you hear me though? I can hear you. It's just your video is not on. Uh, not sure what's going on. Maybe we lost the video for a minute. Or Amar, are you there? All right. So, Dr. Ahmed, how are you? Alhamdulillah, Allah is equal khairiya, Rabb. I'll accept. Uh, all right, folks. Yeah. Let me just bring back Amar. Ya Rabb. <clears throat> we would love to hear from you, Dr. Ahmed, about some of your experiences, you know, your relationship with the Quran, and, you know, definitely please uh, pitch into the conversation. Uh, All right, let's see. I think he had to sign out. He'll be back. So tell us a little bit from your side, you know, what are, what are some of the experiences that you had, or at least, you know, some uh, miraculous moment that you felt from the Quran that really, like, uh, intact, touched you? Um, well, I grew up in Kuwait and then we moved to Egypt. I was very blessed to, uh, that my family put me in Azhar. So my middle school and high school were in Azhar uh, school. Uh, very much they prepare you as far as memorizing the Quran and the tafsir, tajweed. Yeah. So that was really heavy and uh, I didn't like it at the beginning. Uh, I was... Uh, I was not so excited about that, but uh, I'll tell you what, the day um, I uh, happened to be in, uh, in a group of my uncles and my uh, aunts and everybody was uh, reciting the Quran, and then I found myself the youngest and able to recite better than most of them, I was very proud, I was very happy. Yeah. Um, and uh, definitely uh, the Quran... Uh, the, the, one of the amazing things about the Quran is that it can also cater to your level. So as, as, as far as the memorization, as far as the understanding, as far yeah. as the reflection, everybody could benefit um, and find the connection, the personal connection with the Quran. And this is another miraculous uh, uh, relationship with the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the moment that you open your heart and mind to have a relationship with the Quran, yeah the Qur'an uh, bond with you and wow. the relationship uh, uh, gets bigger and bigger as uh, as you uh, progress more and it never ends. I mean, mm -hmm. no one could claim that had reached the level in, in any aspect, in the memorization or in the uh, recitation or in the understanding yeah. where it could reach the highest level. Uh, Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah for sharing that. Uh... Well, yeah. And going back to Amar, like we we're discussing, like, so what are some of the advice you'd give young professionals to come closer to the Quran? And I think like those are very good points Dr. Ahmed mentioned in terms of everybody has a different relationship. Um, what are some general advice that you would give to give time to the Quran? Or how do, how do you approach the Quran as a young professional in the busy life in the corporate world? Exactly. I think uh, so with regards to busyness, uh, there's one prophetic prescription that the Prophet would people who complained about being busy or mm -hmm. people who complained about being unable 
a man comes to Rasulullah sallallahu the legalities of Islam they're too much for me like I can't figure out all of this halal and haram business just tell me one thing that I can hold on to tell me one thing that I can hold on to yeah and he says let your tongue be moist with the remembrance of Allah mm. right a lot of times I feel like with with our spirituality we neglect the thing that is most powerful because it is so basic right dr ahmed can tell you just like any most doctors when you speak what is one thing that people can do for their health as far as exercise just one thing that people can do that everybody can do and it'll be walking right so many doctors will tell you just walk just walk you don't have to do p90x you don't have to do crossfit <laughs> You don't have to, you know, you don't have to, you don't know have to do all of these things. Just walk. But we don't, we're like, no, walking is too easy. It's too, <laughs> like, it can't be that easy. 10,000 steps a day, like one hour a day. No, no, no. I have to sign up for this crazy gym membership. I have to enter into this program. Right. And for me, dhikrullah is like walking. Right. It's mm -hmm. nothing, it's nothing impressive. You don't get any high fives. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises al-dhakirin Allah kathiran wa al-dhakirat wa Allahi akbar And the remembrance of Allah is greater, greater than what? Greater than everything. And the Prophet sallallahu again, this is for the people who came and, and said to him, Ya Rasulullah, like, I'm too old or I'm too this or I'm too this. Um Mahani comes to Rasulullah sallallahu she's his cousin and she says, Ya Rasulullah, I've become old and I've become weak, right? And so what does the Prophet ﷺ say to her? Say, SubhanAllah a hundred times, Alhamdulillah a hundred times, La ilaha illallah a hundred times, Allahu Akbar a hundred times. Like this is what you can do. And so specifically for the person who's in corporate America, because what you're talking about is incredibly, uh, I mean, it's it happens to so many, if not everybody, right? Yeah. At 20 years old, you're active, you're in the MSA, you're memorizing Quran, you're giving da'wah and this and this and this, and then you blink and you're 30 years old. <sighs> Right. And you are all of a sudden, even the conversations that you're having with your friends, even the religious quote unquote people our conversations in our cars and at our restaurants are of a completely secular nature. It's talking about the Washington Wizards, which should be haram because the Wizards sucks. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing to talk about with the Wizards. Wow, man. <laughs> but my point is, and they're talking about, you know, 401ks and they're talking about this and they're talking about investments and they're talking about this is all they're talking about, even the religious, right? And, and, and so the notion of having the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala present on your tongue, you can make dhikr while you are sitting in your conference room in your in your at work while you're walking while you're sitting in your cubicle you can make it at any point in time and it is in, and it is something that brings life to the heart it softens the heart hasn't the time come that the those who believe that their hearts be softened with the remembrance of allah and so specifically for busy people specifically for you know what I can't give da'wah. You know what? I can't put in all of the work that I used to be able to put into. At the same time, I can still be spiritually healthy. By what? By making sure that my tongue is always moist with the remembrance of Allah. Religiosity is not in whether you have a beard or not, or how thick your niqab is. Religiosity is in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. I think in COVID-19, the thickness of niqab could be heavy. It's okay. 
But going back to our discussion, uh, but that those are very good points you mentioned. But I think what's what's crucial here is that you know the community needs needs to like educate that part of the spirituality to the younger generation or like the next generation of the young professionals. Because look, when it comes to approaching Deen or approaching Quran, approaching anything, it becomes very heavy duty, right? Like you say, all out or nothing. It comes off that way even in the platforms of the the the. the, the when, when you're talking about the vehicles of faith, the institutions, the massages, the the shayukhs, the the, uh, the teachers, right? That's why when you see, uh, um, you know, the next generation leaders or the influencers come in and when they say something everywhere, it just flocks because they can relate to the context and contextual messaging. I think that's important for institutions to really recognize. Like for you, I'm sure a lot of young people who geared towards you versus the elders are like, they want that, you know, classic style of khatara, just give it to me straight and I'm gonna do it or not. Versus like, and, and that's another thing, our generation, I feel like, you know, we talk about these sensitivity issues, right? We're always very fragile. Like we have to be tempered. We have to be like given this. And, and I think about this, it's like, okay, you know, what would the prophet do? Like the prophet dealt with all sorts of people. He dealt with their, you know, straightforward uh, individuals. He dealt with the, you know, the soft, uh, kinded heart who needed the tendering, right? There was all level of individuals. We have that in our community, especially, uh, I think we just missed him again, especially like, you know, Dr. When you think about like in our community, they're, they're, when you're talking about in the States, you're not just dealing with one kind of people. You have people from so many different backgrounds. You have to really understand what kind of baggage sometimes those individuals carry or what is the culture norm they come with, right? And especially this generation of lots because like there's this post I seen somewhere they somebody said, you know, um, our parents don't accept this, uh, like they don't accept to be American. And we can't, we don't know what Americans what does it mean to be American? So we're in the middle. We're we're not like you. Know, like you. We can't relate to our parents, and we can't even relate to what it's been American mean, right? With the current cl climate. So we're we're like we don't have any identity. We're the we're the most one identity crisis. But I think that was really powerful, and it's true because we're struggling between our parents' generation and the next generation. We look at next generations like what is that? What does that look like? Right? It doesn't have any stance or basis. So I think like institution is to do a little bit uh, more. This is why we're focused like the youth work. Again, I'm an advocate of it. I'm always emphasizing on it. It needs to be a little bit more. But anyways, any any last uh, input, Brother Amar, from your end? You know, uh, any any other thoughts? Any funny stories? About the identity business? Huh? Yeah, sure. If you want to talk about the identity business. So I, I think with regards to, and this is something that I communicate to parents all the time whenever I have the opportunity to. And I come from the background of being Sudanese, and I know that this, the immigrant experience is similar in a lot of places. And that is when I was, you know, when we were growing up, my parents were not intending to stay in America for 30 years. They Tell were not, me who parents intended that. Tell me one parent alike. That's what I'm saying, right? So this is a similar <laughs> experience. They were not intending to, they were intending to come here for work and then go back home. And so even yeah. as they were here, they're building a house before they bought a house here they built a house in Sudan, right? Yeah. Uh, and and in their in their mind, uh, they're simply expatriates here, right? I don't think the notion of migrating, that we are migrating to the United States, actually, even though they became citizens and all of that, the, the notion that we are immigrating to the United States was not necessarily there. And there's always this dream of we're going to move back. And... Uh, eventually eventually and it takes a long time maybe 20 25 years for them to come to the conclusion that they're not going to go back but in that period of time your entire life has been 
wasted, right? Um, and 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 that that affects our institution building, yeah. because they're instead of building institutions here, because you know what, my children and my grandchildren and my great grandchildren are going to be here. Um, they are they're sending money back home and they're sending money back home and they're reinvesting everything in 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 things back home as opposed to investing here yeah not to say sending money back home is not good and beautiful and and, and necessary yeah. it is but i may not necessarily need to build a house back home that i'm not going to live in um even though my family and my extended family will be looking at looking at me funny and saying this guy's been living in america for 30 years and he hasn't built a house back home right uh, yeah in any case the point here is that, uh, and, and there's also an incredible disservice that is done to children because your parents uh, are trying to raise a foreign child on American soil, right? And so your parents are telling you all the time, you're not Sudanese enough, you're not Pakistani enough, you're not uh, Egyptian enough, you're not whatever it is enough, right? You're not Bengali enough, you're not this or that. And they're comparing you with your cousins who are growing up in Bangladesh, right? Or they're comparing you with your, your cousins who are growing up in. And, uh, I, you know, when you, if you were to grow two, if two people were to be raised in the same city, they would be incredibly different if they were raised 30 years apart. Just 30 years apart. Like you, you right now, right? You're, we're talking about connecting with people who are 10, 15, 20 years younger than us growing up in the same cities that we're growing up in, but there's a, a big shift in, in values. There's a big shift in, in priorities. There's a big shift in all of these types of things. Yeah. And so for our parents to try to raise us, not only 30 years later or 40 years later, but halfway across the world in a completely different language, in a completely different society with completely different values and expect us to somehow turn out the same way as if we had grown up in those places, that is, a fantasy and it is a beautiful fantasy that that i wish that we could participate in but it's not yeah and so um you're at some point you have to tell your families and parents and 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 communicate to them you are not going to raise a sudanese child here you yeah. are not going to raise a pakistani child here that's not going to happen you cannot raise because an identity has a number of factors has a number of pillars <coughs> Theology is one of them. Where do you get your worldview? How do you how do you how do you deem something to be good versus bad, right? And so for yeah. us, it's the Quran, the Sunnah of the Prophet, something like that. Yeah, Another thing is language, right? We're probably all three of us are probably from different places in the world, but we have a shared identity in that we are English speakers. Yeah, and you see this every Ramadan, except for a Ramadan that has a pandemic. In it, otherwise we'd all be at the masajid, and you naturally see during iftar time, the people who speak Bangla sit together, and the people who speak French sit together, and the people who speak English sit together, and the people who speak Arabic sit together, and Urdu speakers, because language fosters a shared identity. So that's number two, and number three, of course, is history. History fosters a shared identity. That's why we're taught history, right? That's why uh, you yeah. from in Buffalo, New York. They're being taught American history, but then you go over to Toronto and they're being taught Canadian history, right? And, yeah. and the person from Buffalo, New York will feel more connected to the person in San Diego, California, because they share an American history yeah. together than the person who is a few miles away from them in Toronto, Canada. Yeah. And so history is incredibly powerful as well. 
and you know what's amazing for us is that i mean now that's a tangent but language connects you to your history and so as someone who wants to know my sudanese heritage i need to know the arabic language because my history is recorded in that language if i wanted to know uh, the history of my people pakistani uh, people, then I would, I would, I would need to learn Urdu because that's where my history is recorded. The yeah. English library is always going to be a fraction of those libraries, and so mm. you want to be able to to know on whose shoulder you stand, because yeah. history gives you a sense of identity as well. My point, I say all of this to say that you will not be able to raise an ethnic identity outside of of, of that experience, yeah. that history, and all of these types of things. Um, but you can build a religious identity. You can have a, I can be just as Muslim here. I may not be able to be just a Sudanese here growing up here, yeah. but I can be just as Muslim here growing up in the United States yeah. than I can be anywhere else in the world. I can be just as uh -huh. good as a Muslim. And, and that is, that was the, the concern of one of the greatest parents and a father whose fatherhood was recorded for us in the Quran, Yaqub who had the best ethnicity, he had the best lineage, he was the most noble, the son of the noble, the son of Ibrahim, the father of Yaqub, Al-Karib ibn Al-Karib ibn Al-Karib, the Prophet described him. So don't talk to me about being, you know, uh, uh, whatever it is, whatever your tribe is or whatever you are, don't talk to me about how y'all got. And yet when he, he migrated, he migrated to a non-Muslim land, to Egypt, right? And his concern at the end of his life was not, are my children going to be Palestinian? Allah's not going to ask you about whether you, you grew up as a Pakistani or whether you grew up as Somali or whether you grew up as Sudanese. Allah's yeah. that's not. But you are going to be asked, were you Muslim? مَا تَعْبُدُونَ مِنْ بَعْدِي قَالُوا نَعْبُدُ إِلَهَكَ وَإِلَهَ That's what he was at. That's what his question was on the deathbed. And that's a question that every parent needs to answer. That so that's what I would communicate to parents as far as their children. Yeah, it's painful. Yes, it's it's shattering a a, a dream. Yes, it's a shattering a fantasy. But the reality is, ninety five percent of people who migrate here don't migrate back. And so, if that's the case, then kiss away the dream that your children are going to be this or that ethnicity. Eventually, we're going to be just like everybody else when we were going to school and that person is saying, I'm half German and half Irish and three quarters, uh, whatever, right? We're going to, our children and grandchildren are going to be like that. But are they going to be Muslim is the question. Yeah, that's it. That's and that's why we have these yeah. institutions. That's a very good point. Jazakallah khair. I think uh, we're out of time, but I do want to, I do want to continue on this discussion. That's interesting because uh, it, does, it does bring up like some of the other discussion pointers in terms of because of that culture notion, we all we also affect our um, young people when it comes to Dean, because we, we take this cultural notion of Dean and we do some damages in terms of uh, their relationship with Allah, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of baggage that we, like our parents or, or the community brings into it that and mixes it with that. And then I feel like a lot of these kids are not able to relate to it. And I think this is what's interesting is about understanding Quran, contextually understanding the Quran and make sure that we're also able to teach it, right? And because there's no way you can read this book and not benefit, right? I mean, there's, there's something is wrong if people are just going through it because they're just tired or exhausted or they're just like not, they're disconnected. Something is wrong in, in the mechanisms of what we do. 
So just talk about that. Malice for that stuff on you.
um, partner with Mass there in the Bay Area. So um, I'm, I'm bringing this up because I want to show also the nature of uh, mer uh, uh, Mercy Without Limits as far as the, uh, the scope of work. So yes, we, we, we are in the relief work. We, we do international uh, relief work, 5,500 orphans, hundreds of water wells, micro enterprise, uh, food assistance, even uh, medical assistance and, and camps in almost 12 different countries. Um, but also we are very much uh, cared for the youth. And uh, uh, what we have offered here is uh, uh, a nice example of an imam on a motorcycle visiting uh, America, telling them uh, about the beauty of our religion and interacting with other motorcyclists from all over the country of different faith or those who are not even religious, bringing them to the masjid or to the mass center to yeah. do to observe etiquette. So uh, please follow us on uh, mwlimits.org or the motorcyclist imam or ride for orphans and uh, see how we could partner with us and to serve our community here and also to uh, bring um, uh, the uh, service to those who are in need for it, inshallah. Allah Muhammad. Thank you so much, Doctor. Now, what are some of the ways people can donate? That's one. Um, and a second is like uh, I, we do have one donor. I mean, one one. Uh, so our Instagram takeover group, the youth, mashallah, they did work. I mean, one of the one of our national team did work with MWL uh, this past uh, uh, month. I mean, uh, in March, uh, in terms of doing the Hearts for Humanity project, and alhamdulillah, that was pretty good in terms of the crisis and everything that happened. Uh, the team really pulled through, mashallah. Um, I we. But we, so currently we're doing Instagram takeover page. So we have about 30 young uh, individuals kind of sharing their Ramadan experience in COVID-19. So they all got together Mashallah. and up to $800 to uh, sponsor an orphan. And inshallah, we'll be going Allah to uh, So you have that from Allah us. You know, if people are online and they're seeing this as sponsorship opportunity, they'll come through and seek sponsorship from you guys. Allah yazikal khair, may Allah bless you, maximize your reward, you know. All it's us. an honor, wallahi, yani, I just want to say, uh, um, it's very important to have the right perception. If you look at yourself as the Khalifa of, of the Prophet sallallahu and you're going to inherit that Khilafa, but also you will have the responsibility to be a legend. Each and every one of us should be, should have a legacy before he or she dies. and. And what would be a better legacy than that you, you leave good um, and uh, great energy uh, in, this, in this world. When you stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you say, Allah, uh, I was among the best ummah that was brought out to people. So may Allah bless you, Akhi Muhammad, bless the work that you do. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless all the viewers. And, and uh, the last reminder, just uh, please... Uh, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide you that you find your legacy and, mm. and 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 that legacy would be your contribution in life and the, the thing that Allah will assign later on to be your companion in your grave so mm. when you stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the day of judgment you will have your legacy next to you so jazakallah khairan and yeah. early Eid Mubarak akhi Muhammad jazakallah <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much uh, thank you akhi we appreciate everything that you guys are doing. We recognize yeah, you, and definitely, you guys are. Uh, you know, you have done tremendous work even throughout the Ramadan. Because if you guys, like I said, we, we, it was possible for doing all these works that we're doing. Alhamdulillah. 
And in terms of like you mentioned legacy projects and all that, that's very crucial. And we want to empower young people to really find their identity and really able to leave their footprint because the footprints they should, you know, we all should be empowering ourselves is the process. True. So Melissa, Alexa from you. Uh, thank you, everyone. So this is it. It's going to wrap up our night. Inshallah, you guys have a wonderful Eid. And Melissa, Alexa from all of you. And in the last few hours before Ramadan says goodbye to us, let us take this opportunity to make dua for each other. And yeah. uh, accept all of our good deeds and everything that we have a good intention to. Assalamu alaikum.